All right, guys, if you can sum up the spring in one word, uh, do you have do you have a word how you how you would sum up the last month of your lives covering spring practice? Uh, I would just say for me, exhausted. <laughs> I would go with productive. Productive, huh? Yeah. Yeah, hey. For for you or for Florida State? Yeah, somewhere in between. Bob? Yeah, productive is a good one. I, I was thinking of some something, you know, Jimboism like progress or uh, you know, development. But yeah, I, I think uh, I think productive. I think Florida State got they accomplished what they wanted to. Ted, toughness, effort, discipline. What's the what's the third or second D that I'm that I'm thinking of, Chris? What's Ted? Is it a second is it a second D or is it pride? Oh, so it's Ted so P. Like it's Ted. Whatever. All right, so we are clearly burnt out. This is the Knowles 24-7 podcast. I'm Brendan Sinone. Joining me is Chris Nee, uh, Bob Ferrante. Thanks both of you guys for your time. Uh, we are summing up spring football. It has been a long and an arduous month and a half or so uh, for the football team. Dog days of spring, I guess you could say. Uh, Jimbo Fisher said he put his team through hell for us covering the team. Not quite as much hell, but it certainly was a, a pretty long stretch. So we are happy to kind of kind of be done. We're a little punchy here, but uh, spring game kind of came and, and went and was you know, basically what a spring game is. Had some good, um, a lot of bad, a lot of rust. Uh, there are a lot of injured players, so it was uh, hard to, to take away a whole lot, but maybe that'll be our jumping off point, fellas. Uh, Bob, I'll start with you. I guess, what were your general impressions of the spring game? What kind of stood out to you? Was it a good spring game? Was it a bad spring game? Was it just kind of a, a normal spring game? I think you have to look past the the disjointed nature of the offenses where you don't have but two scholarship receivers, one on each side. The offensive line is is mixed up to, you know, three starters are out with injuries. So take it for what it's worth. But I think think what I was impressed by was just all the running backs looked good. Uh, They were Mm -hmm. productive. Uh, Josh Ball seemed to clear holes on the left side. I like the way Cam Akers run. Obviously, he's a freshman, and, and I, I think as, as Jimbo pointed out, he kind of likes to bounce it to the outside a little too much. But man, he, he does does run pretty physically between the tackles, and when he does find open space, he he goes and he's he's fun to watch. So, you know, I think just just seeing the the offensive line open up those rushing lanes yet again, it, it just shows you that uh, this team could be really balanced on offense in twenty seventeen. Yeah, the offense certainly uh, you know had its had its issues at times, which is to be expected, like you said, Bob, because it was so disjointed. But uh, a lot of good too, like like you said with Cam Akers. I thought the run blocking was good, and we'll we'll get into all that. Chris, uh, what were your general thoughts from the spring game? I know you were busy doing recruiting stuff as well, but when you were able to kind of look up and take the game in, what did you observe? Yeah, I was kind of watching it with one eye while working up there, and I had the opportunity to go back and rewatch it. I recorded it that day. Overall, I took away that the defense is very talented. That secondary is loaded. Um, Derwin makes a world of difference. He sets a tone. He's aggressive. He can do so many different things. You know, the label of Superman kind of fits the guy. He makes everything happen for everybody else. I feel like they're good at all three levels on defense. I feel like they're talented at all three levels. I feel like they're deep at all three levels. So, you know, I really feel like the team can have a great defensive season. Offensively, I didn't expect a whole lot, especially with so many guys missing. You know, the offensive lines not being the true one, true two offensive lines, the lack of wide receiver talent that was actually playing in the game. So the offense was kind of what I expected. Cam Akers, 
you know, I think he's hella good. I think he's a guy that's going to compete for starting role very early. You know, Patrick might have the title, but I think Akers is going to have just as much impact at that position as anybody else. I felt like Francois played fine. I didn't think he was spectacular. I didn't think he was poor. I was pleased with Bailey Hawkman. I think Constantino's days of playing here are completely over. Um, I guess that's pretty much my basic takeaways, like the short version. All right, so let's get into it. The, the You mentioned, Chris, uh, Derwin James and Superman, and that's what, what Jacob Pugh called him, which uh, you know is an apt description when you look at all the things he does. Is it possible that we kind of – yeah, I was going back and looking at the Ole Miss game for uh, for a different project I was doing on Demarcus Walker about a week or so ago, and uh, you just forget what Derwin James did for the defense those first couple of games. I know they had some issues with some deep breakdowns and uh, on deep passes and stuff, but uh, his ability to close quickly, to line up all over the field, I mean looking at how that defense struggled, did we all kind of maybe over overlook or, or not put into as much as, as should have when they lost Derwin, just exactly what he did for that defense for everyone else? Well, I don't think it should be a broad excuse for what the defense was last year that Derwin went out. I don't think that's fair. I think that defense had flaws that went beyond the loss of one player. But I think you can't discount the impact that Derwin James is capable of making. He impacts all three levels of the defense. He sets a tone. When things aren't going right, he's a guy that can make something happen. He just kind of is a do-it-all player. He's a generational player in some ways. And, you know, he's going to make any coach better on the defensive side of the ball just because he's so capable of doing so many different things, whether it's playing the run, pressuring the quarterback, playing the pass, breaking something up across the middle, kind of, you know, making a guy short arm or chop his steps on a route. There's a huge impact that's not measured simply by tackles, by interceptions. The guy is kind of the centerpiece of an extremely talented defense, but he's also the heartbeat of that defense. You guys have both been around a little bit longer than I have. I've been covering the team for about four years or so. Um, and, and for me, I mean, I saw Jalen Ramsey, obviously, uh, his entire career. I saw the end of um, you know, Marcus Joyner, Timmy Jernigan, Mario Edwards. Those guys were all special. But, uh, Chris, you mentioned generational. And Darwin James is by far the most physically gifted and well-rounded defender I've I've seen in person covering Florida State who have have you guys seen anyone quite like that or who would you compare him to during your like actual time covering covering Florida State well to me he's a stat stuffer like Jalen was where he can do so many different things but he's a physical mental presence that's more on par with LaMarcus Joyner LaMarcus Joyner loved to scare the opponent like he, it thrilled him to know that a guy didn't want to run across the middle because he may get decapitated. I feel like Derwin is sort of that mentality. He wants to be murder ball. You know, he enjoys the title. He enjoys playing in that way. And I think that combined with simply his ability to actually make plays, you know, put up stats, not beat your brill preppers where he looks good, but he actually does something. I think that's a pretty big piece for it. So to me, it's kind of a mix of those two guys and, they were huge parts of two very good defenses for FSU. Please don't get this fan base going on uh, Andrew, Bill Pe- Andrew Bill Peppers. Uh, Bob, who uh, who have you seen defensively that's comparable of anyone to, to Derwin? When he's, when he's healthy, when he's right, uh, that can make the impact all over the field like he can. Have you seen anyone that you've covered live? Yeah, I can't think of anybody that, that really matches him. I think Jalen is, is a good uh, kind of comp in a sense. I, I think... Um, you know, wasn't Rex Ryan on the on the broadcast kind of mentioned Bob Sanders and, uh, you know, some of those types. It's it's just really unique and rare that a safety can have this much of, a, of an impact 
can it can affect a game like this? Um, you know, because we talk on the NFL about is a is a safety that valuable as a high draft pick? Well, this you know this is the guy Derwin is is very valuable to a defense, and and we'll find out a year from now. I think you know just how valuable he is to NFL teams because I think we'll certainly be talking about him as a top ten type of pick in terms of value. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think he can do a little bit of a little bit of everything. He he kind of grew up as a linebacker too, so I think that's that sort of was his middle school position, and, and he kind of evolved into safety. It was just kind of worked out what worked out best for him. I I just I just love the versatility. You don't know where he's going to line up. You don't know what he's going to do. Um, he's almost kind of like the guy you want to watch from the stands and, and just see what's what's going to happen next. And at one point in high school, I think he lined up at defensive tackle in certain sub packages. So literally a guy who was was everywhere um, and kind of you saw, you know, with a pretty limited playbook, you know, Florida State doesn't want to give away too much. And is that always vanilla in the spring just because they don't have a whole lot of time to put in stuff and you don't want to tip your hand too much. But you saw him line up, you know, in the box as a blitzer, at linebacker, at safety. We heard that he had lined up at cornerback a little bit. Uh, and, you know, at times at practice this spring. So his presence certainly noticed, uh, well, I think, seven tackles, three tackles for loss, two sacks, just everywhere. Uh, and that, to me, I think is one of the main takeaways from the spring game is that Derwin James was back, uh, and what he's going to do for this defense is, man, it's so hard to quantify when they missed him, you know, what what exactly you know, that, that drop-off was because of all the different things he he could he could do. So, uh Let's kind of start, you know, looking at the entire big picture here from from the spring. Uh, we'll do that, and then we'll go into like a little bit of a rapid fire, uh, just going down position by position. But uh, as far as what Florida State accomplished this spring, uh, do you guys think this was a successful? You know, fifteen practices for Jimbo, Jimbo Fisher and company, or uh, does it kind of you know leave a little bit to uh, to be desired at this point? Go ahead, Bob. Yeah, I'd say, you know, like you said, it was productive. Um, look at the key position battles, what the key questions that we had. Left tackle, I think we all feel like like Josh Ball is a guy who can step into that role. He was really clear in holes on Saturday, for example. You know, center, uh, Bavian Johnson, even though he had the ankle injury, looked good. Um, still going to be questions about receiver. It seems like we've had questions about receiver the last couple of years. But you kind of feel like there's athleticism and talent there. I I think where we had questions going in, you, you sort of feel like now the puzzle pieces are sort of fitting into place. So I feel like the running game, again, going back to that depth, I mean, they've got guys who probably could start for half the ACC schools, but they might be the number three guy on Florida State. So it's going to be fun to see how creative Jimbo gets, you know, maybe a pony package with two tailbacks, maybe using a couple of these guys in the return games. Um, I, I, I think, I think Jimbo got done what he wanted. I know the passing game looked really ugly on Saturday, but again, it's just a product of what you have available to you on the field. Yeah. My, my takeaway from it all is that I think this spring was very much about a lot of those guys that played last year that were very wet behind the ears. I think they're a heck of a lot more comfortable in what they're supposed to do. You know, they had to find spots where they had to replace guys left tackle, like Bob talked about with Josh Ball. 
defensive end. I don't really think they're going to find a replacement for Demarcus Walker, but I think they have a lot of options. Jacob Pugh's clearly taken a next step. Brian Burns is a stud. I liked what I saw from Kane Doe. Robinson had a moment where he flashed. So I feel like they have capable bodies there. Jalen Wilkerson had a late play in the game. So, you know, you got a big body in him. But in general, I feel like a lot of those younger guys, uh, you know, I'm thinking of Levante Taylor, Kyle Myers, uh, Mayor Azul would be another one. Keep Gavin while he didn't play on Saturday throughout the spring when he was available. I feel like they know what is asked of them a lot better than they did 12 months ago and that they're a lot more comfortable in that role. And that's a pretty big thing. When you can have a very good starting unit, which I think it's clear FSU will have pretty solid 11 and 11 on each side of the ball, but it's the next 11 on each side of the ball. I think they're a lot better place than they were maybe 12 months ago. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that you kind of look at the spring and, and not every single question that you have is going to be answered. And if it is, that's, that's fantastic. That is rarely the case. You have 15 practices, you have injuries, there's just not enough time to get everything done. But I think Florida State entering uh, the summer here kind of at least has an idea of its identity kind of coming up. Uh, it, it knows where its strengths are, where its weaknesses are, uh, kind of areas that it needs to focus on. You kind of start tailoring your your identity towards that. The one thing that I found particularly interesting, I guess, was was Jimbo Fisher's uh, post game press conference. Uh, and I know Chris, you were uh, you were doing a lot of <laughs> recruiting stuff. You're over by the Bowden statue, chasing guys down, grinding there. Um, so, so Bob, I'll ask you your thoughts. Would, would Jimbo start talking about at the very end, uh, trying to toughening up this team? Uh, there's one point where I guess he you know, re- recalled a practice or restarted a practice almost at the end of one this spring. Same thing he did last year during fall camp, but part of me wonders if he kind of learned his lesson is if you're going to start pushing guys to that extent and being quote-unquote hell on the uh, on the team, uh, maybe you have to start doing that and forming that a little bit earlier uh, to where you're testing the mental toughness early on and not physically wearing the guys down like, like you saw at the beginning of last year. Did, did you think that was... Uh, Bob, did you think that was interesting at all, the way Jimbo was kind of, I don't know, seemed to kind of crack the whip a little bit more than um, than he has previous years in the spring? Yeah, I think it helps set sets the tone through the offseason, yeah. too, where guys know what's demanded of them in the spring. They have an offseason workout plan. You go into seven-on-sevens, you know, the quarterbacks will lead that. And I think, obviously, it helps. September 2nd is, is a known. It, it's Alabama. This isn't. Texas State, this isn't, you know, some kind of cupcake opponent. You know, the, the openers have gotten progressively tougher through the years. It's uh, it's definitely not a pit or, or an Ole Miss. This is this is a serious ballgame with Alabama. So it, I think it helps to get everybody's attention. And, uh, and yeah, I, I think Jimbo's tough. Everybody gets that. Um, but I think that's, that's what a lot of these guys want and need, too. I think... You know, the goal in the end is, is to see players develop into what they really can be. And, and sometimes being pushed beyond what you feel you can accomplish to, to the point where a coach can see, hey, this guy can really be something special. I think they kind of needed that this spring. Last year we saw that, you know, Jimbo correctly identified this was a talented, you know, that, that 2016 team was talented. Uh, but that it lacked some of that mental resolve and some of that toughness. And we saw that kind of develop, you know, by the end of the season, granted with an easier part of the schedule, but you did see guys kind of start to, to grind things out a little bit. And, uh, you know, I think that was the big thing is that Jimbo wanted to push, you know, now kind of in hindsight was to make sure that carried over from the end of last year when the team kind of started to get it, started learning how to close games, learning how to finish. 
of learning what it took to win, you know, in a, a tight ball game instead of falling apart. Uh, you saw that in the in the offseason condition drills when they were talking about you know, the orange jerseys and kind of you know, so you have accountability on that sense. <clears throat> Excuse me, and then you have you know this spring, you know, Jimbo Fisher being again, you know, I, I think Brian Burns def- you know, described him as a as a gnat almost and said that he was all over the place, kind of you know more so than usual. It's not like Jimbo's ever ever easygoing during spring, you know, spring practice or any time of year. So for him to be, you know, noticeably uh, more, uh, more impactful in, in, in that sense, I think it kind of showed just exactly what he's trying to push and what he expects of this team. You know, we've, we've long heard that 2017 was a, a, a year that Jimbo Fisher thought could be special. He thought last year could be good. He thought this one could be great. Um, and, and I think we're trying to see, or we're starting to see him trying to hold guys accountable. Um, so that was kind of my big, big takeaway from the spring. Now, let's guys maybe pivot to uh, to position. Uh, you know, kind of a rapid fire. What you guys thought took away from the spring game, the spring. Uh, let's start at quarterback. Chris, you mentioned DeAndre Francois. Good, not great. You know, some ups and downs. I guess general impressions of of that position, starting with DeAndre. I think it's clear cut. DeAndre's their top option. Obviously, I think he's very comfortable being the leader. He's gotten better at being a little more vocal. That's a little bit out of his realm of comfort, obviously. He's kind of a kid that's an introvert, keeps to himself. Um, and, you know, I think he had, from all accounts, a fairly good spring. You know, has a good grasp of the playbook, has good rhythm with most of the receivers that are on the roster, things of that sort. I thought Bailey Hawkman, for a guy who's only been here about four months, did a very good job. You know, his stats weren't great. I think he was 3 for 11 off the top of my head. But he looked good throwing the ball. He looked like he was making the right decisions. He looked comfortable. And then with Constantino, I just think it's one of those things you walk away from. I, I don't think JJ really brings any value to the roster at this point in his career. Bob, what do you? you know, we were talking about this a little bit the other day um, in the press box. We were trying to kind of sum up things. Um, I mean, is Constantino the number two quarterback? Is Hawkman the number two? Is it all kind of? Depend going off what Chris said. I thought Hawkman looked good, but do you think that Hawkman is a guy that they will put you know in a in the end of a game if it's you know you know JJ or sorry if uh, DeAndre you know, leaves the game if it's a blowout or if he gets hurt for a series or do you think it's still kind of Cosentino that number two uh, for the time being? Yeah, I'd still argue if it's a blowout, go with JJ or, or Rizzo, whoever you're more comfortable with. <laughs> but you know you, you've got a situation where. If there's an injury, if you have a tight game, you know, what, what are you going to do? Who are you going to go with? And I think from a confidence standpoint, if you have to play a full game or three quarters with somebody not named DeAndre Francois, I almost think you have to just burn the red shirt and go with Bailey Hawkman. I think, I think he's going to hold up well. I think he's got a really good grasp of the playbook relative to the amount of time he's been on campus, you know, with... Again, we, we didn't see him with the right pieces on Saturday. He only had one scholarship receiver to throw to, one or two tight ends to throw to. Again, a partial offensive line. If you put him back there, give him five or six more months, I think he's a better option if if you're in a really dire situation. But, you know, blowout, I'm fine going to J.J. just to clean it up and, and call it a win. But but otherwise, I think you got to go to Hawkman. Yeah, I I'm kind of of the same you know train of thought there, Bob. Is I think that that if you need a quarterback for long term for whatever reason, you know, God forbid for Florida State's case, if, if Francois is lost for a couple games or you know it's a tight game, I, I thought I thought Hawkman at least showed much better presence. And again, it's tough with the sample size that we, that we saw, but 
You know, Cosentino one, I don't think he was maybe as terrible as, you know, going back and rewatching it as, as he initially <laughs> appeared on first glance on Saturday, but he made some really nice throws, but then he just had some, you know, head scratchers. And, and I think the, the you come back to presence with JJ, things have to be perfect around him for him to be adequate. Uh, if he doesn't have a clean pocket, if he doesn't have a clear read that he's making, he just doesn't seem comfortable. It doesn't seem like he can make the, the tough throws or, you know, if the pocket breaks down that he's going to make the right play. You saw Hawkman actually kind of when, when things broke down, you know, even though he scrambled and, and threw the ball away, like that's the right play. You know, there's one point in fourth, I think it was fourth and long, Cosentino uh, scrambles uh, instead of, throwing the you know instead of throwing the ball up for up for grabs and you can hear Jimbo on the broadcast yelling like you know, JJ you have to at least give yourself a chance you have no chance scrambling on fourth and 16 like do you know who you are like you're not running for 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 20 yards uh, the fact that these are still issues that that JJ Cosentino hasn't quite got that he doesn't show a great grasp of the game uh, that's a problem to me so yeah, I'm of the same school of thought that that Hawkman uh, just looked a lot more polished for a young guy, at least seemed more confident, knew what was going on, stuff you can build on. Uh, let's uh, move to running back. Uh, Bob, you kind of talked about all the different things we saw and how, how deep that, that running back unit is. Uh, maybe start off with Patrick. I mean, he, he looks like a guy that's going to, I mean, at, at some point or another, right, 15, carry, 15, 20 carries a game, and he's going to be a factor in this offense, right? I really liked, I think, also on the goal line, you know, in that second quarter, the extra effort that he showed on a couple of those runs. I think it was uh, a three-yard run down to the one, and then that that goal line play where he had the second effort, a little bit of a push, too, from Frank Swanson and the other guys to get in. You know, that's that's sort of what we thought he was going to be maybe two years ago. It's taken a little bit longer to see this physical running style develop out of him, but I, I kind of feel like, don't know how good of a receiver he is just yet, but I kind of see him developing into that starter back where, like you said, we'll see him 15 carries and then, and then mix in some cam makers here and there to, uh, to really wear out defenses. And there's a decent portion of the fan base that thinks that cam makers should be the guy based on what they saw on Saturday. I mean, Chris, for, for context, just how good was cam and, and how polished do you think he he is is he a guy ready to contribute right away and when i say contribute i mean you know 10 15 touches in a in a game in the first month of the season yeah easily i, I think acres is a guy you could throw out there as your number one back right now and you really wouldn't miss a beat i'm not convinced jimbo does that you know i think he'll go with a stable mentality i think patrick and acres will both see a heavy amount of the carries for them but acres can do a little bit of everything uh, the biggest thing I took away from watching him, he understands how to run. He doesn't just run one way. He doesn't run hard. He doesn't run fast. He doesn't try to burst through the hole. He does everything. He understands when to run through the hole, when to work to the outside. Like a normal kid out of high school, he tries to pop some things and get away with some things he probably got away at the prep level that won't work in college. But he'll learn that with more reps, more carries. We saw that with Delvin Cook early in his career. I think he's a guy that's going to get, you know, I think we're going to see a heavy and healthy dose of him against Alabama personally, as long as he's fully healthy and ready to go. Uh, real quick for, for both you guys, and I kind of have a number in, in my head. Uh, how many touches do you think he gets against Alabama? Uh, I'm going to go with 12 in the season opener. Yeah, that, that I literally was in my head thinking about 12. Presuming FSU runs it you know, 30, 35 times with their backs total, I think he's a guy that sees at least 12. Bob? Yeah, it sounds good. I, I would say 10 to 12, maybe maybe a little bit on the underside, but I think it's fair. 
One number, Bob. You can't go 10 to 12. Jesus. Um, <laughs> no, I, re- I originally had 10 when I was on the Bill King show a couple weeks ago, name drop. Um, and I changed it to 12 because after seeing him in the spring, I'm like, yeah, he's the real deal. And we had heard it. Once you see it with your eyes, you're like, okay, like, you know, you, know, you can put in a Mersul, you can put in Ryan Green. You can find guys that are complimentary to Jacquez Patrick. Like we're operating under assumption that Patrick is going to be, you know, the, the term starter may not mean much because I think you're going to see a stable approach like Chris said. But I don't know why you go with anyone else other than Akers uh, to compliment Patrick, at least as the primary guy. Maybe Rasul is that. I mean, Green looked okay. He had a couple of nice carries to the outside. Uh, but but Akers is special. I, I, Chris had mentioned his ability to to do to run in a bunch of different ways in between the tackle outside. Like like to me, and it's an easy comparison to make because they're so close together. But he did remind me a lot of Dalvin Cook in, in that way that he was. The one thing that always stood out to me in Dalvin, to Dalvin in high school was just how patient he was, his vision. He had a very mature running style, and I think that's kind of, you know, I didn't know if we would see that with Cam based on, you know, he, he played quarterback and that wildcat approach, and I didn't know exactly how quickly that would translate over. I assumed it would eventually, but but watching him on on Saturday, I, I thought it was very, very clear that, that he has a, a style that is going to translate over to college football really, really quickly. Yeah, one thing I'd add on the running back position is that they have a lot of talent there, including the fullbacks. You know, Vickers, I feel like, had a very strong spring making that full transition to being a fullback. I feel like Neighbors is a capable blocker. Mm-hmm. Colton Plant's even a capable blocker to walk on that works at the position. So they could do a lot of eye formation, split backs, some pistol. They can throw a lot of different looks with a different number of running backs on the field at different times. You know, it's not a one-man show back there. They've got a lot of options with a lot of different talent and skill sets. Oh, and by the way, they're bringing in a five-star recruit and a four-star recruit this summer. Uh, Chris, real quick, uh, recruiting synopsis on both those guys. I guess uh, with Leborn and, and Zaquandre. Excuse me, Zaquandre. I'm not going to say it right. You go ahead and just take take it here. Well, with Leborn, he's an all-purpose guy. He's a very good receiver out of backfield. Another explosive guy can hit the hole, work inside, outside. Um, with Saquandre, very low center of gravity, very physical runner. He runs a lot bigger than he looks when you just see him outside pads. He doesn't look like a really big guy, but he runs physically. He's a very impressive guy between the tackles. He's explosive. He's very quick foot. Uh, tight space guy can make people miss, you know, where it doesn't look like they're going to miss. So, yeah, it's it's absurd. They've got so much running back talent, and, you know, the recruiting's not falling off at the position moving on from this class either. So they're in a good spot. But Cam Akers is mighty special. I mean, he he's everything I expected and more, and he was a better blocker in the spring game than I expected, and that's one area I thought there might be a little bit of a, you know, adjustment period that would exceed simply the spring. But I felt very comfortable with what I saw him do there in a couple – uh, examples where he had to put you know his helmet down and hit somebody yeah we had heard nothing but really really good things about him all spring off record on record and uh yeah to, to kind of live up to the expectations and pass him i think shows uh exactly what kind of player he's going to be and again I, I think you're going to see a heavy dose of him uh and patrick the term starter may not really mean a whole lot so i think it'll be a lot like what they did in you know 2012 2013 where they kind of go by committee with two or three guys and and rotate them you know you'll blend them in depending on different situation and who has the hot hand. So uh, let's switch to wide receivers and tight ends. This is kind of guys, a, a difficult position to judge this spring on simply because there were so many injuries at wide receiver um, based on what we saw in a small sample size in the spring. I mean, did any of those you know wide receivers that were actually on the field uh, stand out to you, to you guys? 
Well, I thought Devontae Phillips made as many bad plays as he made good plays in the spring game. I, I agree. He dropped, he dropped a couple balls. He had a couple moments. I, I, Devontae's a guy who I think has a lot of talent. We've consistently heard he's one of the better pass catchers on the team. He just simply needs to be more consistent. That's something that Jimbo's banged the drum on with him, and it's something that clearly the limited amount we've been able to watch him is very true. For every good he does, he does a bad. You can't have that. You're not going to be trusted to be on the field if you're that guy. Keith Gavin obviously didn't play in the spring game, but Keith's plenty talented. I think he really breaks out this year. I feel good about Auden and Nyquan, what they have there. And at the tight end spot, you know, Ryan Izzo, I really feel like has taken the next step. He's a super well-rounded guy, good blocker, good receiver. I feel like Maven's a little more comfortable as a receiver than he was a year ago. Obviously, very good athletic ability at that position. Trey McKitty, I don't expect him to play a great deal this year because of the two guys I just mentioned. But again, another very good pass catcher can get downfield, can work. And uh, I feel like Upshur is kind of a guy that's starting to get a little, you know, a lot of bodies in front of him at that position. Mm -hmm. Maybe we see him do a little bit more at like a fullback or a hybrid role, you know, because he's he's a phenomenal blocker. He's a capable receiver. He's just not uniquely physically talented like some of those other guys at that position. Yeah, I don't know when we've seen a guy kind of. I guess Nick O'Leary kind of had a similar body build, but you know, he's more of a uh, an H back type of guy, and, and I don't know. We've seen a whole lot of that kind of work out in Jimbo Fisher's offense. But uh, backtracking to to Devonte Phillips real quick, he uh, Bob, correct me if I'm wrong. Didn't Jimbo kind of say in the post game that that interception, the pick six that Francois threw, was more or less on Phillips? And I know Jimbo likes to 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 blame the wide receivers before his quarterback, but he, I think he said something like that just. It wasn't the wrong route, but the way he ran it, he had never seen it run that way before. Am I remembering that correctly? Yeah, he basically said something effective. I don't know what route he was running, or it was it was clear that you know Devonte had not uh, not been in the playbook exactly <laughs> on that one. And you know, it kind of speaks to the inconsistency of, of the receivers. Um, Jimbo was kind of saying similarly. I think the question was along the lines of what is. Um, Nyquan have to do to become the number one guy. What is what does he need to achieve? And and Jimbo yet again kind of going after consistency. And he he kind of felt like there were days where where Nyquan wasn't exactly dialed in, and you know he kind of had some some off days. So you know I, I don't I don't feel like I have big concerns about Nyquan and, and Auden overall. I think we know those are going to be two really dynamic guys and. And last year, you know, especially compared to trotting out uh, Bobo and, and Kermit and, and Travis Rudolph, it's it's definitely more um, dynamic and, and fun to watch group of receivers. But you know, you still do have question marks about um, didn't get to see enough of Keith Gavin, even though Jimbo praised him consistently. You know, still question mark with with Phillips. Is he a guy who could be part of that three receiver or four receiver package? So. Um, Questions, I think, still after guys like Nyquan and on. And Nooney was not happy, by the way, with the the way that whole uh, spring game was set up. He got paired with JJ Cosentino, and you could just tell the body language by the uh, by the end of the game. He was just super frustrated that he wasn't getting the ball placed where where he wanted it. So yeah, for him, it's still about maturing. Like he still is a guy that I think he is clearly in their mind their number one wide receiver entering the year. Um, and he's shown that in glimpses that he he can certainly live up to that role. But like, yeah, man, I just 
he it seems like it's a constant tug of war for them to try to get him to not be that kind of you know, prima donna wide receiver type of guy. Um, you see that kind of stereotype, and and you know if he makes strides and gets that kind of figured out, like that's great. But like it's kind of seemed like this has been an ongoing thing for Jimbo and and Nooney for the past you know year and a half, two years since he's been on campus is you know trying to keep him him happy. Um, we mentioned Phillips as this was a big spring for him to kind of establish himself Florida State needs a third wide receiver to step up uh you figure that that Murray's one Tate's another and maybe interchangeable with Keith Gavin uh, or maybe Gavin if healthy kind of establishes himself this is a big spring for for uh, Devontae Phillips and I just it didn't seem like based on what Jimbo said what we saw in the spring that he got uh a better or at least enough to where it's like okay this is your chance I'm not sure now when you start bringing in you know, some guys in this upcoming class, if he starts getting, you know, pushed down the depth chart a little bit. Uh, one name real quick. I thought Jared Jackson, the walk-on wide receiver, has kind of been a special team stud. He's had a couple of nice catches in spring games and, and practices that we've seen previously. Am I just a prisoner of the moment or is he a guy that could maybe help out at some capacity given that there's not a whole lot of numbers at wide receiver next year? I mean, if you have to roll him out there, I think he's capable. Yeah. Uh, they, if I remember correctly, he played at the end of the Michigan Orange Bowl game. Right? Mm-hmm. I, I think so. He's every time he's been on the field, man. Like he does something good, whether it's on special teams or the receiver at wide receiver. And, and he looked on Saturday. I thought pretty natural. You know, kind of you know got a crossing pattern. He got another one on the corner. Um, he had three catches. He got targeted six times. I think got fifty something yards. So like, yeah, if you have to trot him out there, like you can live with that. I think. Yeah, I mean, it's a sad state of affairs <laughs> that you're relying on a walk-on at receiver. No knock to Jared. He's earned his spot. But, uh, you know, if you have to call the number, I feel like he's a guy who can roll out there and you're not – there's not some massive drop-off. There's not a physical drop-off that's going to be ultra-concerning. It's not like when Nick Patty played linebacker last year and you knew there was a definitive drop-off from what he had on the roster. I feel like Jared's a more than capable receiver. He's definitely a more consistent receiver than we see with like a Devontae Phillips, for example. And we all know with Jimbo on offense, when you're messing with his quarterback, when you're the guy the quarterback has to rely on, you got to be trusted. So I think they trust Jackson. I think that's probably the biggest credit you can give the young man. Still the craziest thing that Nick Patty was out there for like two series in a row against Ole Miss. <laughs> Anyways, let's go to the offensive line. Uh, this was the position, guys, that, that I think all three of us had kind of highlighted, you know, when we did the first podcast, when we were talking about the spring, is a position that we were really interested to see kind of come together. Um, surprise, surprise, injuries kind of make it difficult to, to say what's going to happen. I mean, I think, you know, the spring game, you have three possible or projected starters in center Alec Eberly. Uh, guard Landon Dickerson and uh, and right tackle Rick Leonard. You have three projected or possible starters. Don't play. So it's really tough to, to get a whole lot of that. But my initial thought was uh, Josh Ball looked really good at left tackle. Chris, you'd heard a lot about him and been kind of banging the drum on him for, for all of spring now. Um, made you feel pretty good about about that, right? That you were uh, not, not far off at all. Yeah, I mean, I, I think Kando gave him an issue one time, but in general, I thought he had a really good day. Derwin James went by him one time, but Derwin does that to everybody. Yeah. So I don't worry too much about that one. But uh, run block, and I thought he was outstanding. I thought he really did a good job getting his mitts on people, moving his feet, getting down the field, showing his athleticism, using his length, using his build. I thought he was real good at that stuff. Uh, you know, pass blocking, I thought it was a little bit of a mixed bag for him, but I, pass blocking is such a five fingers and a glove thing where it's not solely on the left tackle. It's about all five guys across. You know, was his left guard really helping him? 
on some of those pass blocking situations. Robbins did not look great, by the way. On, right. on yeah, yeah, he was lined up beside David Robbins, yeah. who you know I didn't watch every snap intently in the moment that day, but I felt like when I watched David a lot more often, he was turned sideways mm-hmm. trying to recover instead of making the physical pass block and you know getting himself set up right. So. I'm not going to judge anybody on that line entirely by what I saw on Saturday. I think that group as a whole still very incomplete, still need to see a lot more, obviously need to be really ready to go when September rolls around. But I'm not, you know, I'm not crowning anybody a king and I'm not crowning anybody as a fool either. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel good about Paul. Babion, I thought, had a mixed day. You know, I, I didn't think he was great. I didn't think he was bad. You know, I didn't feel like he walked out of there definitely their starting center. I think he's definitely into discussion, but that that's probably the segment going into fall camp that I'm most interested to see how it continues to prosper. Yeah, I, I agree that, you know, not, not great, not terrible, just kind of in between. I do think that you get left tackle somewhat solidified as big. Now you kind of focus on center and kind of, like you said, Chris fitting the, the right, you know, the, the right pieces in there to get that start in five. Bob, am I crazy for thinking that the offensive line? Like, I didn't think it was as terrible as initially as we maybe thought on on Saturday. I mean, kind of your general impressions after going back and, and watching the game of that unit. Again, it's tough. It's just so disjointed with with three guys out, three projected starters out, and then, again, splitting the teams up. Um, I, I didn't think certain guys looked good. You know, for example, Abdul Bello just didn't hold up very well at all, but – you know, on the flip side, a guy like Cole Minshew really showed that, uh, you know, healthy again after concussion issues, ankle injury. Um, he's a guy who's played on the left side at guard, on the right side at guard. That's where he was on Saturday. I thought Cole yet again blocked really well in the running game. He said he's really improved as, as a pass blocker too. So um, I think the key question with some of these guys is going to be health. I think Jimbo kind of mentioned it post game too. How many guys were out there playing injured? Um, Ethan Frith, maybe he shouldn't have played with an ankle injury. But they had guys kind of fighting through it. And, you know, I think you kind of maybe see who, who you can trust. And I think at this point, like like Chris said, Josh Ball is a guy you feel really good about. You feel like you can trust him. I feel better about Coleman Shue with every game I kind of see him. Um, Babian, yeah, I think center is going to be a good battle too. But I, I think you come out of the spring feeling like, okay, I, I feel good about certain guys. Just how do these pieces fit? Yeah, I, I agree. You're kind of still trying to figure that out. But like you said, at least you got left tackle kind of figured out. You mentioned Cole Minshew, Bob. And I, I every time I watch Minshew closely, like I'm always impressed by him. If he's healthy and he's had a lot of injury histories with the concussion and I think it was an ankle that was really nagging a year or so ago. But it, when he's healthy and if he's in shape – like, he's a guy that they had him pulling a couple times, and he did a really nice job getting to the second level. Uh, good in pass, bro. Like, it's tough to, you know, you're not going to bull rush him. You're going to have to beat, beat him around the outside. He's such a, a thick guy. So I think between him and Dickerson at the guard spots, like, if those two are healthy, that's really, really well set. Uh, center, like you said, kind of up in the air, and that'll be an interesting position battle. And I think right tackle, uh, you know, I did the you know, post-spring depth chart projection and, and you know, people thought <laughs> weren't really happy that, that we had Brock Rubel ahead of Rick Leonard, but I think Rubel was practicing ahead of Rick Leonard from from what we heard uh, for the most part, you know, before Leonard was hurt in the spring. So like that may be 
The reality of it is that you're going to see that go down to a position battle. You were hoping that, that Rick Leonard you know, grew enough last year and you liked what he saw against Michigan to where he'd solidify that, but I don't know if that's the case. So a uh, final thought with the offensive line is you know, people have been asking about Abdul Bello for the last year. I think we know why uh, he's not in the mix after watching him versus Brian Burns. So uh, moving on with Brian Burns, let's talk about defensive line and start with the edge guys. Again, tough to tell because that offensive line is so disjointed, but but man, Jacob Pugh off the edge, uh, Brian Burns, uh, Joshua Kando showed some glimpses. I mean, the pass rush looked really, really good and juiced up, and that's without Josh Sweat. A lot of depth. It's kind of similar to running back. They're just going to bring a lot of guys at you. Um, yeah, it, it's a fun group to watch. Uh, you know, Burns at one point, you could see him kind of rushing off the edge, and he knew he wasn't going to get to Francois, but then he put the paws up. It was almost like he was in full shot block mode and he knocked down a pass. I, this is, it's, it's crazy. I know you've written about how they're recruiting and these, these basketball bodies with the big wingspan. And it's, it's really, it's a group of defensive ends where they should have an effect on the game. Mm-hmm. I mean, they really should be putting pressure on guys. I, I still feel like sack is, is a little bit overrated as a stat, but they're going to pressure and and make an adjustment on, on how a quarterback throws a ball. Maybe I'll have to drop, you know, down sidearm to, to make a pass, even try to get through a window with with big guys getting uh, to the quarterback. And let's even remember this was a game where we didn't see Derek Naughty. So um, we, we really didn't see the full complement of, of what they had on Saturday either. Yeah, and, and to go to your point about just the length and the size, I mean, there was one play where Kendo, like, I, I don't know what, I forgot what his stat line was. I don't think he had a ton of stats, but there was one play where he stunted around, <clears throat> excuse me, and came into the middle of the field and, or into the middle of the line and put his hands up, and he's, what, 6'5", six, 6'6", six, 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 um, and disrupted uh, the throwing angle for Francois to lead to an incompletion. Like, that's just kind of what this defensive line's going to be as we talk about them kind of replacing, you know, Demarcus Walker as as you know just as do it all you know edge rusher interior rusher a good run stopper you know, edge setter uh, it's going to be a by committee approach but they have so many different types of, of body types and guys now I think you kind of go by committee and <clears throat> no you don't replace you know 16 sacks that just doesn't happen but you can maybe with three or four guys kind of supplement that a little bit and I think we've kind of started to see how they're going to do that you know I liked a little bit of what I saw from Jalen Wilkerson in spurts I thought Keith Bryant actually yeah I don't know if he's been written off completely but he looked like he had a little bit of a, a speed and quickness to his game uh chase down a couple plays from what I saw and then uh and then Janarius Robinson too so you have different guys at that edge setter spot that can can be impact players um and for those of you listening I this is why Chris needs one of the best in the business he's actually doing a bolt right now as we're as we're podcasting are you done bolting Chris or are you still uh Still hacking. No, I'm back in here. I'm good. God, am- amazing. Just like in, in 20 seconds, got a bolt up. Um, so let's get your thoughts on the defensive line and, and how that looked uh, uh, on Saturday. You know, I, it was funny. I was watching, re-watching the game. I was actually watching it with my older son. And uh, he made a comment to me about how, wow, the defensive – he said the guys at the line always are doing something. And I thought to myself, he's right. He's correct. The, the, yeah. most amaz- the most amazing thing about FSU's defensive line is how well coached FSU's defensive line is. Mm-hmm. Brad Lawwing with the defensive ends doesn't just teach guys to get after the quarterback, obviously the most important thing, but he teaches them how to change plays, disrupt plays, adjust to plays, handle plays in the moment. 
and FSU does a phenomenal job of that. And then Odell is obviously very comfortable in that niche of handling defensive tackles. He gets things done on the interior. I thought Jacob Pugh was outstanding. Mm -hmm. I feel like Pugh's really taken that leap forward and become the player they recruited him to be. A guy that's ultra-disruptive, can work at different levels, can do a lot of different things, has a nice, sneaky athleticism to a really large build. I thought Brian Burns was a better player than we saw in the last time we saw him on a football field, and obviously he's pretty damn good as a freshman. And I thought Demarcus Christmas looked like a dominant defensive yeah. tackle he can be. I think when you compare those two guys with Christmas and Naughty in the middle, that's a pretty hellacious bunch up front. You can really do some things. And then you got Josh Sweat in the mix. Obviously, they didn't play on Saturday. Um, and you got plenty of depth. You know, there's a lot of guys you can use. I thought Jalen Wilkerson, the play made late, I thought was a pretty impressive one. I don't think Wilkerson's a huge impact player, but I think he has a role that he can play very well as a big edge setter. Mm -hmm. I think Kando's a guy that's going to really get going as the season goes, as you get some reps, some film, some understanding of the speed of the college game. I think he can do some things, especially on the back half of the year. I feel like Janarius is coming along. Janarius is an ultra-talented, physically special young man who had no idea how to hell to play defensive end when he walked onto campus. So he's very much an example of Brad Lawlin teaching a puppy how to be a dog. And I think Janarius' time isn't quite now, but I think he's shown flashes that he's coming along. And you mentioned DeMarcus Christmas, Chris. The, the interior of the line, like that was really impressive too, the depth there. Um, you know, we'd heard Jimbo talk about uh, Cedric Wood and Darvin Taylor coming on a little bit early, you know, earlier last week before the spring game and got to see that like with our own eyes, like that, that Darvin Taylor made a couple of nice plays in a row, one series uh, very quick. Now that his shoulder's right, I mean, he's a guy that could be a good rotational player. Uh, Cedric Wood, I thought, showed up pretty well. Also, and then that's not including Frederick Jones, who made some really, really good plays. Wally Amy, um, nonetheless, to get you know Marvin Wilson coming in in, in the summertime. Um, so the depth and in, inside as well, like should be, should be really, really good. Like I don't know if I'm making too much of the the depth they have, but I, I don't know. It could be like a. I don't know when the last time I've seen a group that's that's potentially six deep at at defensive tackle. Yeah, and that's what they truly want at that spot. They want a six to eight man rotation where they have two guys that are kind of dominant but can play to exhaustion. You know, if they're on a fifteen play drive and they need to pull a guy, they've got reliable depth. You know, Wally obviously was good last year. The guy who at that position was really good to see do what he did was Darvin Taylor. Darvin mm -hmm. had a pretty catastrophic shoulder injury. It took him a heck of a lot of time to get back, but he's a guy they were really, really high on and you know. I, I think the reasons they were high on him kind of flashed on Saturday afternoon. All right, moving on to the second level, uh, Bob, takeaway with the linebackers. Uh, did you see anyone kind of kind of flash or stand out to you on Saturday? I think with the linebackers, it was, it was a little bit tough for me to, to see a whole lot from them. I mean, a guy like Matthew Thomas didn't play a whole lot. I think he had just one tackle. Um, but it, it's a promising young group. I, I, I still kind of want to see how Adonis Thomas – fits in on this defense moving forward. I feel like he's got some Juco experience. Um, is Juco coach saying that they run a lot of similar defensive schemes as, as what Florida State's doing? I could see him as a guy who's going to blend in. Um, you know, Jimbo, kind of interesting that he, he challenged uh, Dontavious Jackson a little bit this spring, too. He didn't uh, didn't feel like he had taken the appropriate step forward in, in year two that, that he had wanted to see. And I, I kind of would have thought it would have been the reverse, that Dontavious was a guy that, about middle of last year, we, we saw him really 
getting it, and he got the start against Wake and, and got some good playing time in the second half. So um, I, I feel good about the group. You've got two seniors with Hoskins and Thomas, but still it's that similar storyline. want to see a little bit more, a little bit more development from those, those younger guys, those backups, and, and honestly guys who are going to be playing in 2018. Chris, did you see any of those, you know, Bob said those backups, those second you know, wave of guys kind of flash or stand out when you went back and watched the game? No, I mean, I didn't feel like they were challenged a whole lot. There were a couple instances where they're out of place on a couple of plays. That's always concerning. But some of that is, you know, learning on the job. Um, to add to Bob's point about Dontavious, the thing I find interesting about Jimbo talking about him is it's never brought up by a question. It's Jimbo simply bringing him up. Jimbo usually doesn't bring a guy up like that unless he thinks he's capable of being really good. So mm-hmm. I feel like with Dontavious, he's trying to motivate through some quotes, some talk in the media, and get the most he can out of Dontavious. You know, Dontavious is a thumper, a good interior backer who can fill holes and plays. Um, but with that group, I, I don't know what it is about FSU's linebackers. They just don't need to be a liability. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't expect anything great. I don't expect insanely good stats. I think Matthew Thomas can be a pretty impactful player, but beyond that, they just need to not be a liability. Overall on Saturday, I felt like they were good, which is basically all I'm looking for from that group. FSU's front's going to be able to do enough and the back is talented enough that they just can't be a liability in the middle of the field. Good enough. That's uh, that's my motto for life, for life is just be good enough. I've made it fairly far being uh, slightly above adequate, depending on, on who you ask. Uh, Real quick on the linebackers, I did think Emmett Rice uh, flashed a couple times. Like I thought he showed you know, that he could be that future weak side linebacker after Matthew Thomas leaves. I, I did like what I saw from him. There's one play where he took on a pulling guard, uh, stopped him, forced the run outside, and then chased down the ball to the sideline, made the tackle. So you kind of saw flashes there. Uh, Josh Brown, I, you know, I'm not sure how to categorize him as an edge player or a linebacker. I thought he looked pretty comfortable out there, kind of playing on, on the uh, on the edge on Saturday. I just don't know where he fits in right now. I, I don't know why Florida State doesn't have him, you know, working as an inside linebacker because you know playing at Sam, like where Jacob Pugh plays, maybe twenty percent of the time, it's so infrequent. You're just I feel like you're wasting a pretty talented player, um, kind of forcing him to be a rotational guy at best. Uh, until his third or you know third season or so on, on campus, but uh, those are the guys that kind of stood out to me. I, I kind of you know agree with you guys that there just wasn't a whole lot fantastic uh, that I saw at linebacker. Not enough for me to be super concerned either. I think just kind of ho hum. You know this this group is probably going to be what it is. It, it's got some bodies. It's got some guys that can develop. You're not going to see the shortage of. You're not going to see a Nick Patty you know, out there trying to defend even. And excuse me, Evan Ingram, a, a potential first round tight end. Uh, so you're not going to be quite that liability. Uh, I'm just not sure this is a group that that's a strength for, for Florida State in 2017 based on what we saw. Uh, finally, let's go to the secondary guys. We talked about Derwin James a lot outside of him. Uh, who stood out to uh, to you, Bob? Maybe you can uh, start off for us there. Yeah, I think Kyle Myers was, uh, was really, really good late in the game. Obviously, <laughs> yes. stepped in front of that pass to, uh, to have the interception, the pick six. And, and yeah, we'll, we'll kind of debate where he fits in. I, you know, is it star, is it corner? I think in the end you have some good options with him and, and Levante Taylor. It's just just where Jimbo and, and Charles Kelly feel those guys fit best. I also, you know, Stanford Samuels had, had a play, I think, on the sideline where he jumped a route and got in front of a pass too. So, you know, again, it's an embarrassment of riches at uh, defensive back. It seems like they've, you know, a guy or two leaves every year, but, but 
you know, you get a couple more five stars in every year or two also. So I just feel like there's a ton of talent and, uh, it'll be interesting to see how that whole star corner debate works out. But I, I, I feel pretty good about uh, what they have there right now. And it may not even matter because those two guys, like you said, are you know interchangeable for, for the most part between uh, Levante Taylor and Kyle Myers. Um, Myers was, um, like you said, Bob, amazing uh, in the fourth quarter. I mean, he had the, the pick six where he kind of you know benefited off of uh, a poor pass, but you know, that's what a, or not a poor pass, a poor pattern, uh, and kind of a pass that was forced in there. But that's what good players do. You, you take advantage of that play, but that entire series – uh, he had a pass deflection. He uh, defended a couple passes. I think he got a pass interference call on him downfield. That was kind of iffy, and, and that was that was it. Um, so I was impressed with him. I thought, you know, Chris is going to laugh at me. I thought Malik Jackson looked good in, in spurts in the first in the first quarter. I mean, I don't think he's he's a, a huge factor if at all. But like you know, if you need him to go in, uh, you know, Florida State played Keelan Smith, Smith some in 2015. Like I think he, you know that that they do sometimes put guys in situationally and I think you put him in there and he looks like a division one football player at least so uh, those were a couple guys that kind of stood out that either uh, exceeded expectations or or at least kind of matched them for me Chris did you have anyone other than Malik Jackson who you loved Uh, hey I love me some bonus Jackson um Stanford Samuels I thought he kind of like Cam on offense he looked like he fit yeah he didn't look like a guy who'd been here for three four months he looked like a guy that knew how to play in the scheme, knew how to set guys up defensively, knew how to play to his strengths, was aggressive towards the ball, was willing to go tackle people. Yeah, I just thought he had a really good game. I think he's a kid that might not start, but you're certainly not, not going to deny him playing time. And in a really talented secondary, which they are, I feel like they have the pieces that fit everywhere. Last year, the star position became kind of a meandering you know, who the hell can play this? You know, they had Marcus Lewis there at one point and it just got ugly. You know, I don't feel like they're going to have that issue this year. I feel like they have options and they're quality options and they're comfortable at those roles. Kyle Myers, outside star, doesn't matter. Levante Taylor, same thing. Carlos Becker, you can move all around. Stanford Samuels, I think it's definitely an outside guy personally. And then you get T-Mac back in the fall. So, mm-hmm. you know, you got a lot of talent that you can set the edge with and work to the inside. And then your safety talent is pretty well-defined and pretty experienced group. So Charles and uh, Jeremiah back there in the secondary have a lot to work with. And I think they can be a pretty, pretty special group, especially with the capability of front seven, you know, getting their job done for them too. Yeah, no no excuses this year. I mean, the defense can't have the struggles that it had in the beginning of last year for whatever the reason, whether it's Derwin, whether it's just this crazy schedule, um, whatever it was last year, uh, you kind of have to be really, really good this season, I think, with all the talent you have coming back and all the depth uh, and experience. Uh, no more uh, excuses. So I think we're all kind of in we, – we all kind of agree there that Florida State's defense has the depth and the quality to be really, really solid across the board. Uh Wrapping up here, guys. Uh, let's just real quick go across uh, go across the board and and one thing that you're looking for uh, now as spring's done between now and and the start of fall camp. I think that that Florida State needs to kind of identify, need to work on, need to focus on one certain aspect. Can be a position, can be uh, just kind of mentality type of thing. Uh, Chris, what's one thing that you are kind of interested to kind of see that you know materialize here in the next couple months? The offensive line, figuring out your best five, you know, figuring out what you're going to do at that center position, whether it's Alec when he comes back, if he's healthy from the injury, Babyon or another option. You know, I feel pretty good that Josh Ball 
Landon Dickerson, uh, Cole Minshew are going to handle your left tackle and your two guard spots. Right tackle, it's going to be Rubel or Leonard. You know, hopefully one of those truly takes some chains and just runs away with the race. Um, but center is kind of the thing that I feel like it's kind of left unsettled walking out of spring camp. Babu, how about you? I'll go back to wide receiver. I still think um, beyond Murray and Tate, you know, who are the guys you can count on? Who Who's going to be able to be a third receiver, fourth receiver? Who's going to run the right route? Is it going to be a guy like Phillips? Is, is Gavin going to be healthy? You know, I think there are some significant questions there, and it, and it, it could be masked by Jimbo wanting to use two tight ends. It could be two tailbacks that he could use. So maybe you won't always need that third receiver, but at points you're going to need a third and fourth receiver. And I think we started to see that, that Gavin might be that guy again, Jimbo praising him really consistently all spring. But um, I think we, we need to start seeing that again in, in August too. Damn it. You guys both stole my, my top two, uh, my top two storylines to kind of watch going into to the summer, but uh, pivoting, I guess I will go with uh you know, it's one thing I think will be interesting is to see DeAndre Francois, and we talked about this before, is him kind of evolving as a leader. Chris, you mentioned it earlier on in the podcast here, is him you know, being a little bit more demonstrative at times on the sideline and kind of you know, forcing himself to not be that introvert. That's something that Jimbo has pushed DeAndre to do. Uh, and Jimbo really praised uh, DeAndre after kind of kind of I didn't throw him under the bus that's not the right phrasing he but he, he wasn't pleased with him after the first scrimmage and since then has kind of heaped a lot of praise on a Francois this is really the big time of year we talk about the spring is, is kind of establishing that that's not as big as the summer when summer workouts when the seven on sevens are going on when you need guys to kind of organize the team without the coaches being there uh, this is where those leaders and those alpha dogs can start kinding to emerge at least a little bit. So this is Francois' time to really put a stamp on this team, on this offense. He's compared himself to Derwin James as being a leader a couple times. This is kind of kind of his time to prove it. Is this his offense? Is this his team? Uh, and I've said it before, this team will go as far as DeAndre Francois takes it. We saw good and bad during the spring game from him. Uh, obviously, he can make every single throw needed. It's just about him being more consistent uh, and getting, you know, maximizing the guys around him and making sure he's pushing the right buttons. So uh, I really am interested to kind of hear your know, feedback throughout the summer of how he's progressing in that role of, of being, being the leader. Um, so after that ramble, I guess that'll end things for us here on the Knowles 24 seven podcast, uh, the post uh, spring wrap up edition. I'm Brendan Sinone. Thanks to uh, Bob Ferrante and uh, Chris Nee for joining me and we'll be back hopefully uh, next week or so. We'll definitely be doing a recruiting podcast with Chris Neen, Josh Newberg in the near future here. And uh, we'll kind of start parceling out some uh, some content too during the dog days of summer. So thanks for listening, guys. We appreciate it. And we'll talk to you next time.